0: Amen. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful that no need of ours is insignificant. Unimportant. Too small for You. If it matters to us, Father, we're so thankful that it's a big deal to You. Thank You for Your unending providence and Your care in our lives. We are nestled in Your strong and capable hands. And there's no better place to be. Visit with us now, Father. And encourage our hearts as we reflect on Your mighty providence and love for us. In the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. The following story I want to share was relayed as as a first-hand account to Elizabeth Elliot and it was included in one of her earliest books many years ago. And the account is of Brenda, a young woman who was invited to go rock climbing. And although she was very scared, she went with her group to a, to a tremendous granite cliff. In spite of her fears, she put on all the gear. She took hold of the rope and she started up the face of the rock. Well, she got to a ledge. About halfway through where she could take a breather. And as she was resting there on the ledge, the, the safety rope snapped against her eye and knocked out her contact lens. So there she was on a rock ledge with hundreds of feet below her, hundreds of feet above her. Her vision is blurred. And she's looking and looking and looking, hoping that the contact lens somehow fell upon that ledge, but to no avail. It wasn't there. She was far from home, trapped, blurry vision. She was desperate and she began to get upset. And she prayed. She prayed to the Lord to help her find it. When she got to the top, a friend examined her eye and her clothing for the lens, hoping it got caught there, but there was no contact lens to be found. Despondent, she sat down with some of the party waiting for them to, to make it up the face of the cliff. And she looked across the range of mountains. And she remembered this Bible verse in Second Chronicles 16.9 that says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. It may seem like a small thing, but if you wear contact lenses... Like I often do, you'll, you'll know how crippling an issue it is. She thought, Lord, Lord, you can see these mountains. You know every stone and leaf and you know exactly where my contact lens is. Please, please help me. Finally, she walked down the trail to the bottom and a new party of climbers was just starting up the face of the cliff and and one of them shouted out, Hey guys, anybody lose a contact lens? She froze. That would have been startling enough, but do you know where the climber saw it? An ant was moving slowly across the face of the rock, carrying it on his back. (laughs) And the story gets better. Brenda's father is a cartoonist. So when she told him of the incredible story of the ant, her prayer, and the contact lens, he drew a picture of an ant lugging this big contact lens with the words, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it. It's awfully heavy. But if that's what you want me to do, Lord, I'll carry it for you. (coughs) It's a great story. It's a true story. And it reminds us that God will move mountains for us. Even though what seems like a mountain to you and to me is as small and seemingly insignificant as a tiny contact lens. If it matters to you, it matters to Him. The Scriptures are filled with stories of God meeting the needs of His children, however great or small those needs were. It didn't matter how small, how obscure, how seemingly insignificant the need was. God always found a way to meet those needs. You know, we're always drawn to the big miracles that meet big needs. We, we love the stories of God's protective ark for Noah and his family during the flood. We love the parting of the Red Sea for Moses and the escaping Israelites. We love the mighty walls of Jericho coming crashing down. We we love the story of the giant Goliath being defeated by little David. We love when God meets our big needs in big ways. But we have a God of small details. He cares about our intimate needs. Philippians 4.19 reminds us, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. All your needs. Not just the big needs. Not just the obvious ones. Not just the public needs. He cares about little things. He cares very deeply about our needs, however small, however personal, however intimate they may be. God is not too busy solving the big needs of this world and the big problems of this world to worry about your little ones. Somewhere along our journey, and I've heard many people say this, some of us get it into our heads that God only cares about our spiritual needs. That's entirely false. We have a God who cares about our every need, whether it be spiritual, physical, emotional, financial, anything else that concerns us. We know there's nothing too big for God. We talk about that all the time. Today, I want to tell you there's nothing too small for Him either. There's nothing unimportant for Him. There's nothing too trivial for God to work out in our lives. And He's shown it all throughout Scripture. Remember the Israelites. They needed a solution for their attire in the desert. God allowed their clothing and shoes to never age, wear, or decay for the entire 40 years they spent wandering the Sinai Desert. The widow. The widow who cared for Elisha. She had debts to pay. God multiplied her oil in order to help her pay her debts. Jonah. Oh, Jonah needed shade from the heat of the day. God grew a shady leaf plant over his head and gave him some much-needed shade. And he was so happy. And we wonder where miracle Grow came from. Gideon. Gideon needed confirmation from God before he obeyed and went to the battle. And God gave him a sign through the fleece that he set out, not once, but twice. And thank God for his patience and His understanding with our, with our feebleness and with our doubts. Can you imagine if Gideon was your child and he, he came to you? you? You want what? You, you want confirmation? Look, <laughs> I already told you once, don't make me say it again. Get your sorry self out onto the battlefield. No. God is so patient with us. Psalm 103.14 explains, for He knows how we are formed. He remembers That we are dust. We all have needs in our lives. What needs did you bring here with you today? Physical, spiritual, family, emotional. Jesus knows what you need before you even ask. Even before you know what your need is, He knows. He knows, He cares, and He can meet those needs. Well, I've been praying. Why doesn't He? Why why doesn't He fix my problem then? Well, so often He uses those needs and the waiting to teach us some very valuable lessons. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, He came on a mighty mission. He came to defeat sin. He came to secure eternity for all who would place their trust in Him. He came to start His church and, and ignite the work that continues to this day but along the way he took time to continue his father's providence to touch lives by meeting seemingly small needs in miraculous ways between his miracles of making the blind see and the, and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the dead live again he took the time to meet some needs that We might overlook as, as not that important. We're going to look at three such miracles today, what they meant to those in need and what we can learn from them. So open your Bibles with me or look up at the video screens to our first text this morning. John chapter two. We're going to, we're going to start with Jesus' very first miracle. John chapter two and verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and His disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to Him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve Me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, we don't know what took place between verse 4 and verse 5. What look Mary gave They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. And I love this this miracle. There's so many lessons And there's so much symbolism in Jesus' first miracle. It represents the unveiling of of the power of God through Jesus for the first time to Mary and to the disciples. It symbolizes the transformation that only Jesus can provide. Only he can make something extraordinary out of the ordinary. It reminds us that no one is exempt from having to listen to their mothers. But beyond that, there's, there's something very practical going on. In the Middle East, in Jesus' day, weddings tended to be affairs for family and very close friends only. So, it's highly likely that Mary was a relative of the family hosting this wedding. And, and probably through his mother, Jesus was invited, along with his disciples, to Cana. Cana was a, a short journey north of Nazareth where Jesus was born, and then is, uh, or where Jesus lived. That was his hometown. And keep in mind, Jesus had no plans to perform a miracle that day. He explained to his mother that his time had not yet come. His ministry had not yet started. Because once that's unveiled, everything changes. He was just there as a guest on his way to far more important work. So Mary notices at some point that the wine had run out. And now for wine to run out at a wedding in Jewish culture was not just a minor mishap where it could be rectified by sending someone down to the nearest bevmo for a couple of extra bottles. (laughs) This was a major disaster. Brought shame and dishonor to the family if if it happened. And there was no human solution here. The bridegroom couldn't fix it. The, the, The bride couldn't fix it. The master of the banquet couldn't fix it. The servants couldn't fix it. The guests certainly couldn't fix it. There was only one uniquely qualified person in this story who could fix the disaster. There was nowhere to go for more wine. There was no resource inside the house for more wine. There was no cellar that contained more wine there. Only Jesus could miraculously manufacture a fix for this crisis. Now, lives were not at stake here. No one was going to die if the wine runs out. But reputations were on the line. Emotions ran high. Can you imagine what would have happened or what would have been said of the groom had there been a shortage that day? Can you imagine how he would have felt looking all of his friends and family and all of his wife's relatives and friends in the eye over the next 30 years? God cares about your reputation. He cares about your feelings. He cares about your emotions. And when the situation is brought to him, Jesus steps up. He turns the water into wine, and not just ordinary wine, divine wine. And now every wedding in Jesus' time would have had a wine steward or master of ceremonies, someone who would be in charge of the food and drink. And it was to this man the servants brought a sample of the water from the stone jars. Which turned to wine only as it was served. And John tells us that although the servants knew what had happened, the master of ceremonies did not. But he knew enough about wine when he tasted it to know good wine. And the guests had never tasted anything like this before and never would again. The bridegroom ends up looking like the most generous man alive. The bride is impressed. The family's impressed. Relationships are salvaged and a reputation is saved. All because Jesus cared enough about something that was small in the light of eternity, but huge in the light of that groom's emotions. He cares about our emotional needs. He cares about your worries, your thoughts, your fears, your feelings. First Peter 5-7 in the New Living Translation puts it this way, give all your worries and cares to God for He cares about what happens to you. This is wrong. It should say what happens to you is the new living. That's not talking about our eternal destination. Of course, He cares about that. That's job one. But He's also concerned with what happens to you here before you get there. Your worries, your fears, your concerns, your phobias, your what-ifs. Guess what? He wants to help you with those. He wants to help you through those. Cast them all upon Him and leave them there. He's the only one who can fix them. He's the only one with a solution to all your needs. You know, Mary's advice to the servants that day was the greatest advice anyone can give you in your crisis. Do whatever He tells you. He can fix it, but He needs us to comply with the process. And once again, here's obedience. Obedience is at the heart of healing. It's also at the heart of success. It's also at the heart of joy. It's also at the heart of peace. It's also at the heart of contentment. There's nothing that works outside of obedience to God. You're welcome to try it, but let me save you the grief. Life doesn't work lived outside of obedience to God. Because of Jesus' care and because of those servants' obedience, the crisis turned for the good, for the better. That's often what we find in our crisis. If we obey Him through whatever He's leading us, we come out the other side not just having survived, but having been made better. Our situation is better. We're better. Our faith grows. We're stronger Christians. That's what God can do if we let Him. He cares about our every emotional need. And He's the only one who can fulfill those needs. Let's look at our second miracle. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. After Jesus and His disciples arrived in Capernaum, The collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, now this tax was not a Roman civil tax. This was a religious tax supporting the temple in Jerusalem. God inaugurated this tax in the wilderness when he instructed Moses to take half a shekel from every Israelite male 20 years or older. The money was used for the upkeep of the tabernacle and later the the temple. And it was customary for all Jews. It was due on the 15th day of Adar, which was six months before the tax collectors arrived. And it was regarded as patriotic as well as a religious duty. Now, you wouldn't have been arrested for not paying the temple tax. There were no legal ramifications or repercussions here. It was all about your social standing and reputation. Jesus explains that while He's exempt from needing to pay such taxes, He didn't want to harm His testimony or the testimony of His disciples by not paying the tax. He didn't want there to be any reason whatsoever that would get in the way of His ministry and and all the work they were doing. If someone were to question his patriotism or the religious respectfulness of the disciples, he knew and their minds would already be tainted when they saw his miracles and heard his teachings. So that no one would be offended or blinded or stumbled in this manner, Jesus agrees to pay the tax. Now, knowing Peter doesn't have the funds for the tax, Jesus provides a clear solution. He knows the turmoil within Peter before Peter even opens his mouth. In the same way, Jesus knows your needs and mine before we even ask. He knows your financial need. He knows your physical needs. He knows your worries and concerns. Longtime missionary to Zaire, Dr. Helen Rosevere is someone who, who understands that the Lord knows what we need before we even ask. She's still living today and she loves to tell this story. She says, a mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister who was at the mission. One of the girls responded, dear God please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as as we opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure He also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere request. And five months earlier, He had led a ladies' group to include both of these specific articles. He knows what you need before you even realize it. Jesus provides a solution for Peter. Peter through a coin in the mouth of a fish. That's a pretty interesting way to provide. But it's one that leaves no doubt of who's met the need. Often God turns the ordinary into extraordinary when meeting our needs. Peter obeys his Master. He finds the coin, just like Jesus said, and he pays both of their taxes. Through the need and its fulfillment, Peter learns that Jesus cares about our reputations. He cares about our financial needs. And once again, He's the only source that can meet those needs. Timely, complete, and miraculous providence. From the food on our table to the money to pay our debts to our deepest emotions, He is our enough and He is our every time. He cares about our emotional needs. He cares about our financial needs. Let's turn to our third miracle. Mark chapter 1 verse 29. For a bit of context here, it's the Sabbath day. Jesus takes his disciples to the synagogue for worship. While he's there, he heals a man who is possessed by a demon. And for the very first time, Peter sees Jesus do something to restore a person. This is this is the first healing miracle recorded in Mark and Luke. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Peter, Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter and his brother Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. And this miracle gives us a, a rare glimpse into a very interesting family. One of the first things we, we have to understand is that family life 2,000 years ago was vastly different than family life in 21st century America. First of all, family members had very specific roles. In this case, the head of the family would be Peter. Peter was the oldest male child. He would be expected to provide for the family's well-being. He would be the breadwinner. His brother, Andrew, would help, but it was mainly Peter's responsibility He would also be the family spokesman. He would make the important decisions for all the members of the family. If a son were to marry, he would have to find the bride. If a daughter were to marry, he would approve the marriage and provide the dowry. Apparently, his wife had no brothers or or they had passed away because he had taken in her mother. So the mother-in-law lived with them and she was now his responsibility, as well as any other family members who were still around. Now, we don't know exactly what she had. Luke, though, who we know was a physician, tells us she had a high fever. A high fever in that day was very dangerous. To be sure, she was in a life-threatening condition. More than likely, she'd been in this condition for some time. And as the head of the household, it was Peter's responsibility to see to it that she was cared for. His wife had probably been by her side. Physicians more than likely had been called. And in all probability, there was nothing more that they can do other than wait for the inevitable. Peter's wife was distraught. Peter was at a loss of what more to do. It had already caused a a financial strain that Peter left his job to follow Jesus and what tremendous faith it must have took to drop everything and follow Christ. There were probably some who, who would think he was shirking his responsibilities to go off on some adventure. But he saw something in Jesus. And he was willing to risk everything to follow Him. But now with his mother-in-law on death's door, the family was in shambles. Peter's at the synagogue with Jesus and he witnesses Jesus healing for the first time. So what does Peter do? he takes Jesus home with him. What a, what a concept. Taking Jesus home with us. For, for so many, Jesus is the Son of God that we go to church on Sunday to worship. He's a story in the Bible that we read about and, and hear on Christmas and Easter. Or he, He's the one who we put our faith in so that we can have the promise of eternal life. But how many of us have truly taken Jesus home with us? How many of of us have invited Him into our hearts, but not into our houses? We've invited Him into our hearts, but not into our workplace. We've invited Him into our hearts, but not into our relationships. The best thing Peter ever did was make Jesus Christ central to every aspect in his life. At home, he continues to have all the same struggles. He has a wife, a brother, a mother-in-law to care for. His mother-in-law is sick and dying. So Peter takes Jesus into his home and into his family. When Jesus arrives, he sees the mother-in-law laid up. Peter doesn't know what's going to happen. But he takes Jesus to her anyway. And Jesus responds to Peter's faith. He brought him there for a reason. He brings healing to the household. He he reaches out. He touches her hand. And the fever is dispelled. He raises her from her bed and without any time for recovery, she begins to wait on the visitors. Oh, the joy that replaced mourning that day. Oh, the joy in that home that arrived. There's some valuable lessons for Peter and for us in the story. Peter learned that Jesus wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Too often we categorize the spiritual and the secular. We put Jesus, church, prayer, Bible study, worship over here in the, in the spiritual. and In the secular, we put our family, our work, our careers, our hobbies, our relaxation, our relationships, and all the other things we think aren't important to God. The fact of the matter is when Jesus called us, as He did with Peter, to follow Him, everything becomes spiritual. Everything matters to Christ. He wants to be invited into the home. He wants to help with sick mother-in-laws. He wants to help with wayward children. He wants to be involved with the family finances. He wants us to include Him in our crisis. Like Peter, let's bring Jesus home with us. Through this healing, Peter learns that Jesus, in fact, was going to meet all his needs. As Paul put it, and we read earlier, according to his riches in glory. He made an amazing commitment to Christ. He left the fishing business. He began following him, a tremendous act of faith. And I'm sure during those early days, it must have been hard for him to wonder, well, who's going to take care of my family? Who's going to provide for their material and physical needs while I'm off following Jesus? Who's going to put food on the table and clothes in the the drawers? This event answered those questions so clearly. Jesus demonstrated that He could and would take care of all Peter's needs. Peter would continue to be responsible for his family, but, but it was Jesus who was providing for him. Later, when Jesus preached His most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Peter knew exactly what Jesus was saying when He said, Do not worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. From this point on, Peter followed wholeheartedly, sold out. He would have the faith to know the Master would meet his needs on a daily basis. And it was just the beginning of a life made completely and totally available to Christ and his ministry. He became sold out, sold out for Christ. His home became Jesus' home. Whenever Jesus was in Capernaum, he always had a place to stay. Peter's family became Jesus' family. He would always be welcome into their lives. Peter realized what we need to know today. Jesus cares about your family and its needs. He cares about the health of your family. He cares about relationships. He cares and He can heal whatever ails your family. He can touch the brokenness. He can heal the hurts. He can mend the broken hearts and melt away the years of pain and division. Only He can bring wholeness out of all the broken pieces. Let Him. Let him. Invite him into your home and your family and give him the proper place there. What became of Peter's household after this healing? As soon as the sun had set and the Sabbath had ended, people began to bring the sick to his home to be healed by Jesus. And according to Mark in in verse 33 here, the whole city gathered at his door. Imagine if you can, for hours on end, into the night, into the next morning, people were coming to Peter's home. Peter's family would welcome them and host them, and Jesus was performing miracle after miracle. Diseases were cured. Demons were expelled. Crippled and mangled limbs were restored. And where was all of this happening? Right in Peter's own home. In his household. His home and his family became a critical part of Jesus' ministry. What a transformation. From mourning and brokenness to a vital and flourishing hub of ministry. Peter and his family became completely sold out to Christ and his work. You know, I've preached before about the story of the four friends who cut a hole in the roof and ceiling of the house and lowered their invalid friend to Jesus for healing. And and I love that story. It demonstrates the, the kind of devotion and love one person can have for another, bringing them to Jesus. But have you ever thought about the owner of that home? I mean, what kind of person would understand and would be okay and sit back as their roof was being destroyed by total strangers? Well, Mark tells us who that homeowner was. The very next chapter, Mark 2, verse 1, when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. He was at home. He didn't have a home in Capernaum. Yes, he did. He had Peter's home. And many were gathered so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. The house they were in was the same one from Mark chapter 1. The homeowner was Peter. You see, allowing this man to get into the presence of Jesus was far more important to him than keeping his roof intact. That's how much Peter changed. Peter knew how Christ had changed his life and his family, and he wanted the same thing for everyone around him. He found in Jesus his everything. And his life's desire was so that everyone else would find the same. What a simple, but life-changing lesson it is to bring God into your home. To bring Him into your family. To bring Him into your relationships. To bring Him into your job. To bring Him into your school. To bring Him into your problem. Your storm. Your crisis. So often, God becomes our last resort instead of our first option. We work with our own resources. We work our connections Friend, we're forgetting the greatest connection with the most abundant unlimited resources. Other times we come to the Lord with our issue, but when we feel He doesn't answer quickly enough, we turn to our own solutions. There's a purpose in the waiting. And God's timing and ultimate solution is never helped by our meddling. In fact, we can often delay His answer by our attempts at a quick fix. Rest in the fact that He has the perfect solution to your need. And He has the perfect timing for its fulfillment. Friend, I don't know what you're going through today, but I know the One who can go through it with you. I know the only One who can heal, transform, fix, and meet every need you have. We saw some of those today. Spiritual needs, emotional needs, financial needs, physical needs, family needs. What need do you have? What need do you have today? You know what? It it doesn't matter how small it may be or how big it may be. He cares. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. And not only does He care, the good news is He can fix it. You know, there's a lot of people in your life that may care, genuinely care, about your issues, about your problems, but they can't do anything to fix it. And likewise, there may be people in your life who can make your situation better and help you fix it, but they don't care. In Jesus, you have both you have the one who cares and the one who is perfectly capable of meeting that need. He fully cares. And he's fully capable. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing going on in your life today which he can't fix. There's no hurt you have in your heart that he cannot heal. There's no crisis you're going through that he can't solve. He's bigger than your biggest need, and he cares about your smallest need. Take it to Jesus, take it to him. Bring God in on your problems. Come to Him in earnest prayer. Bring Him your needs. Bring Him your cares. Bring Him your fears. Max Lucato reminds us, how did Jesus endure the terror of the crucifixion? Well, He went first to the Father with His fears. He modeled the words of Psalm 56.3, When I am afraid, I put my trust in You. Do the same with yours. And be specific. Jesus was. Take this cup, He prayed. Give God the number of your flight. Tell Him the length of the speech. Share the details of the job transfer. He has plenty of time. He also has plenty of compassion. He'll never tell you to buck up or get tough. He's been where you are. He knows how you feel. And He knows what you need. Give them all to Him and watch what He can do. If it matters to you, friend, it matters to the Master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we truly don't have sufficient words of gratitude, of thanksgiving for all You have done in our lives. Not only not only have You saved us, not only have You rescued us from eternal damnation, not only have You provided and secured for us an eternity with You in heaven, You also walk with us daily and are intimately aware of all our needs, our concerns, worries, cares, and troubles. We place them all in Your hands, Father, because we know that You are our enough. You're all we need in this life and the next one. We're finished trying to find our own solutions, Lord. We're done patching our own wounds with band-aids that don't last. We're done trying to fix our jobs, fix our relationships, fix our families our way. Our attempts only make us realize how incapable we are and how much we need You, Father. Only you can provide and heal and fix completely and perfectly. We trust you, Lord, with our emotional needs, our physical needs, our financial needs, our family needs, and every spiritual need we have. You are our enough, and you are our everything. With grateful hearts, we pray in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.